Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The following episode is brought to you ad-free by Daiichi Sankyo. From Offscript Media, I am Matthew Zachary, and this is Out of Patience. On today's show... Part two in our two-part mini-series on rare disease, again, particularly rare sarcomas and particularly clear cell sarcoma. Joining Andrew and I again are Lenny Woods and Molly Liska of the group Sarah's Cure, which is focused on funding and research to find a cure for clear cell sarcoma. We're digging more now into policy and advocacy and what it's like to start a nonprofit and the aggressive insanity of what it takes to really dip your toe in, but then jump your whole body into the water. It's not fun, but you got to do it. And if you don't do it, no one else will. So here we go. Part two. Enjoy. So very interested in learning uh, all that we can and helping others benefit, really from your experience in being thrown into the world of advocacy and entrepreneurship. What did you find when you went looking for uh, guides into this landscape of advocacy and uh, nonprofit business ownership? I'll start, Molly, if you're good with okay. that. Yep. So one thing surprising to me and, and you got to know my background, I, I come from a business background. My husband and I for 20 plus 20 years, 20 plus years have been self-employed. So I can't, we've run many businesses. Um, so that's, that's innate in me. When we, I, we decided that we needed to just dig in and figure this out. So we started looking for conferences and things, um, joining organizations online and everything we could find, even, even, you know, like stupid cancer, like other, um, patient advocacy groups. So when we went to our first conference, I kind of had this predisposed idea that um, I was going to have to work really hard to get people to care about what I had to say. And our first conference was a World Orphan Drug Congress, just because it was the closest one and we jumped right in. And I even signed up for, because this is me, I wanted to learn everything I could. I signed up, you, you know, they have tracks. They have tracks that for the patients and the patient advocacy groups. They have tracks for fundraising, which Molly signed up for. I signed up to go to the groups for um, the uh, pharmaceutical companies. They, you know, to learn about. They had speakers on on how to w- deal with payers, and and so I picked the track that you would think would be the least one I'd be interested in. But I wanted to know how do these people think, and sitting in there as probably I may have even been the only female in there. Um, but sitting in the room with all of these, uh, you know, COOs and stuff from pharma, they were amazing. In fact, that one of them gave us a connection to a small um, therapeutics group who actually 
did some free research work for us on a on a drug that we were interested in to see if it would work on clear cell. So what I found to be very um, surprising was how many people really, really want to help us. And, um, you know, that was unexpected. So it just kind of it, it just snowballed from there. The more people we met and we just talked to. If some if there was somebody with a booth and nobody was at the booth, I was there talking to them. I learned what a CRO was. I didn't know. Um, and then someone, Molly, was it the World Orphan Drug is where somebody goes. And, and what is what is a CRO? It's a contract research organization. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like the idea. Of, and, and I one one element that I think I bring to to our, our conversations is that of the person who's relatively new to this space. Uh, and, you know, so so I, I love the idea of making sure that people who might be in the position that you were in four or five years ago can mm-hmm. benefit from what you've learned. Yeah, right. that's that's important to us, too. And again, there's another piece of it. As we've met, you know, these these pharmaceutical reps, these CRO reps who have been amazing to us, I keep, you know, what people think and what they say, which I used to think and say about. You know, there are there are still um, things we need to overcome with regulatory and pharmaceutical companies, but they really, really, really do want the same things we do. And that's to find treatments and cures and and to help people. And so at that first World Orphan Drug Congress, boy, that was the best. And we debated on it, Molly. Remember, we were like, can we, we afford did because it was pricey. Yeah. <laughs> and I, as a business person, though, that's what has helped me is I know you can't grow a business without investing in your business. And I think I said that to you and Kelly when we were worried about how little money we had. And at the time, Denny and I were like, we'll cover it, whatever. You know, we were still very, gosh, how old were we? Were we even a year old, Molly? I don't remember. But no, we were not. No. Yeah, we no. we didn't have a lot of money in the bank. And we were just like, we got to go because these are the people who know. These are the people who are on the inner circle and we've got to meet them. And we were welcomed in. And we still have relationships with a lot of those people. In fact, the relationships have really gone well. And um, so my, if anybody listening to this who is new in it, I say just, just you can do it. I remember, um, oh, gosh, and I think her, her son, there's a, a lady in D.C. that's done a lot. She's done a lot with helping get some in- government incentives to create drugs for, for rare disease. She had a son who had a brain tumor and um, I talked to her and I remember just her saying to me, you guys are doing great. You're going to get this done. Just keep going. So have people who are who are ahead of you, who've been where you've been and who are doing really great things. Tell you that when you're just starting out, it's a really important thing to have because it gives us the courage to keep going. Because every time we lose a patient, we lose a child. You just want to quit and say, what am I doing this for? What am I, you know? giving everything up for it, but it is worth it. And anybody can do it. You just have to jump in and talk to everybody. And to kind of backtrack on that, or I guess kind of summarize it and, and dumb, dummy it down a little, I guess if for a new nonprofit, I mean, obviously Google is huge. Get out there and research mm-hmm. what it is your nonprofit is starting for and reach out to the other organizations that have any kind of similarity to what you're doing. Um, you know, it's amazing how many other nonprofits have members who are willing 
to talk to you about their experiences and give you, mm-hmm. um, you know, advice and motivation. And one thing that we definitely learned through the World Orphan Drug Congress, which I will tell you, as a former preschool teacher, was extremely scared at the thought of going to Washington, D.C. and being in rooms with 15,000 plus, 1,500 plus um medical professionals, pharmaceuticals from 50 plus countries um, was a little overwhelming till my husband said they put their pants on one leg at a time, just like you. Yes. Um, the sign yeah. of real human beings. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it was, you know, it was true. And I was glad he told me that because it, I kept, you know, saying I, 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 we can do this. But if you have not everybody, not every new nonprofit has the ability to do what we did with something like the Waldorf and Drug Congress. I mean, that's a reality for a new nonprofit, I'm sure, um, budgeting to get to something like that so soon. But whatever the field is that they're in, one thing that we've learned, and, and Lenny has repeatedly reminded us of this as we're budgeting and thinking through the next year, for us as a rare cancer, an ultra rare cancer, Getting in front of these people is so much more important than and does so much more than a phone call or an email or multiple phone calls and emails will ever do. And what comes of it and the value that comes of that, it's, you know, even though it's not money back in your pocket, the connections that we make and what comes of that is worth every penny that and we've saving lives to go do that. So. And- Saving lives. Yeah. Well, yes. I mean, that's obviously the goal of the mission um, is that. So to get us in there and do that. And and it also opened our eyes and it took us a while to get Lenny to understand this, that we do have something uber dynamic in Lenny as a parent, um, but also with a husband who's extremely smart and researches. I mean, Denny himself needs to be in a lab working on this because he's amazing what he knows. But Lenny could sit. I watched her sit in a room with all of these people and raise her hand and speak. And after watching many other people speak during the Q and a section of this, Lenny raised her hand and the room was silent and people had tears in their eyes. Their jaws were dropped. She didn't realize she had it in her, but Kelly and I are sitting there with tears down our cheeks what she can do in a room because she's knowledgeable and intelligent with it, but also a mother. So the emotion is there, too, which I think is what really grabs a lot of people and makes them want to make a difference. Well, and, I'll, you know, like I, I said, not everybody has that, but that's my advice. Yeah, I was, I, I, I was going to say that people don't care about causes. People care about people. It's what you do with yes. the cause. Mm-hmm. Because you care about the person. I think it's important to talk about Nord, which I'm not going to attempt to de-acronym because I get it wrong every time, that (laughs) when I started Stupid Cancer, I was made aware of an organization called the National Coalition for Cancer Survivorship. They were a a really well-respected Beltwood group that worked on policy. They helped put together like the uh, Children's Cancer Act and passed a whole bunch of payer policies and reimbursements, really stellar. But they were like the umbrella that I really looked towards to learn. They were a galvanizing organization that convened leaders under a national conversation and really helped mentor me and put me in the right direction on where I wanted to go. And eventually Stupid Cancer became its own version 
of an umbrella for a, a smaller movement. I looked at Nord, knowing that I was a member of Nord, having had young adult cancer at 21, but I really hadn't inspected them in the sense of how large they become as a true convener of leadership and influence. Where were you when you discovered that Nord existed and that there'd be value in joining them? And I guess, what have you experienced in being a member of Nord? Even though they don't like members, but I'm using the word member. So we both have different experiences with this, obviously, but the first time we found them was at the World Orphan Drug Congress. And who told us? Who told us, Molly? Do you remember? I don't remember that somebody told us that we walked up on their booth with their cute little zebras and started talking to. Oh, that's um, right. Yeah. We started speaking to the person there who I cannot remember who it was, but then they recommended that we speak to a meeting with Debbie Drell. And then we went on the app and set up a meeting with her. And then we met her. It was love at first word. (laughs) Yeah. She was such an amazing, amazing. um, I think we all had chills in many different ways in our 15 to 20 minute coffee talk with Debbie. Um, Gave us a lot of great information in a very short amount of time that then led us to researching the organization on our own um, as we got back and going to the board with we need we need to vote on joining this organization. And that kind of was how it began, Um, being that we're in different lanes of our jobs. We've each had different relationships with Nord since then. So, I mean, I can speak clearly about mine. But Lenny, I'll let you you speak about your relationship with Nord. And yeah. Matt, so yes, so from the perspective of an um, executive director and a mom of a patient, I will tell you that Nord has got to be singly, and we've said this so many times, has got to be singly the most important membership that we have. And um, I'm so thankful. Went back to that meeting with Debbie, one thing she said in that you get the, these like, you do these round tables and you get this 15 minutes to talk with an organization. And she said, um, First things that listening to us, she said, y'all need to come get involved with the, pa- the FDA patient input sessions, which, you know, we didn't even know that existed. Just just start telling that. Then we're online, you know, in the hotel room Googling, what are these? And you look and the FDA has done this whole program for people like us. So one was coming up, I think, a week or two after the World Orphan Drug Congress. So I literally the day before booked the flight, thought I got to do it. I got to do it back to that whole you got to invest. So I jumped on a plane Monday morning and, you know, just for the day. And Debbie had said, she says, I'll meet you there. And it was it was not that many people there. It was a small room. And um, it was maybe I don't know. Uh, I don't even think it was 200, maybe 125 to 150. She sat with me. She said she we met early. We were texting. OK, I'm arriving. She sat there with me. I really didn't realize her position within Nord and what all she does. And I still think that she's not human. She's a robot because she is so incredible. <laughs> but she sat with me and taught me in that two or so hours of that input session exactly how much. I didn't know and and how much and certain things like one that still sticks with me is there was a panel speaker who was another mother of another organization. And I said and she talked and Debbie's kind of telling me about her quietly as we're sitting there. 
And I said, well, I want to be her. And she's got, um, it's not cancer. In fact, I was one of the few people there representing rare cancer. But um, this woman was just amazing. And they were really close to getting their approval for a trial. I said, I want to be her. How did she get there? And Debbie um, leaned over and said, well, I'm going to help you get there. And she literally has since. I mean, this she's been so amazing. But she said, first of all, you don't exist. Clear cell sarcoma doesn't exist. And that was my first kind of like really smack in the face of how we're going to have to swim upstream and, you know, kind of make some changes in areas we weren't even thinking about. And I said, what do you mean we don't exist? She says, you don't have an ICD-10 code in the world of of um, disease or disorders. You are discovered and studied by you know, getting a diagnosis or getting a treatment because insurance collects information that way. And without an ICD-10 code, we are not, um, we are not, you know, recorded in any meaningful way with the types of data or, or treatments or anything like that. So, you know, there goes, there's another thing on the list. We need an ICD-10 code. But that was the start of our relationship with NORD. And they were so instrumental in helping us put together proper bylaws. We already had some, but they gave us all this. I mean, the membership to join them is minimal. And if we'd have hired a company to do what they've helped us do with, you know, our advisory stuff, they give you time to get it all together, but they also give you forms to help you understand how to do it, how to go about it. And we are, we are successfully doing that. We've got some of the top people in the world that sit on our advisory, our medical advisory board in the sarcoma world. And um, it, I really give Nord credit for helping us, first of all, be professional enough to know how to do it, but also how to, um, you know, giving us the the confidence and, and the tools to be able to do that. And I personally have encouraged everybody. I ha- I'm very close to two other moms, one who runs a Ewing's group, the Sam Day Foundation, and another one who runs the Epithelioia group. And, um, I've encouraged both of them. In fact, Sam Day just became members of Nord. And anybody we talk to, Molly, don't you agree? That's first thing oh, we yeah. say. You yeah. got to join Nord. Yeah. They really are here for us. And they make us a big family. We're not small anymore when you're a member of Nord. Yeah. Yeah, they they, they really do help organizations uh, benefit from the scale. Uh, mm-hmm. And they make the, the ironic point that rare isn't rare. Mm-hmm. Um, there are many, many different varieties of rare, but there are millions of people confronting rare diseases mm-hmm. and disorders. So I want to focus in a little bit more on, on the topic of, of research and, uh, and trials. What are some of the, what, what are some of the pro- uh, forms of progress that have been made? Uh, how has your organization been able to influence and direct attention to some of these directions one thing and we none of it we really don't we we get to the places that we are not necessarily starting out thinking along those lines but we knew and we know that we need a treatment we need some kind of organized information about clear cell sarcoma right i mean they treat pediatric patients very differently than they treat adult patients and we straddle i mean we've had 21-year-olds who were treated under the pediatric 
side, even though they were technically adults, because there's that AYA thing. But unfortunately, in the institutions, the doctors don't cross over a lot in their discussions. And so we found that to be, you know, problematic. So when we discuss with, um, like, people, you know, we go to these Nord conferences and things, and we talk to the people from the FDA or people from regulatory And we talk to the pharmaceutical company people, you know, those are the things important to us is that we have we we somehow get our information out there so that there is more collaboration among the doctors and we can, you know, collect data, I guess. I mean, it's kind of hard. We're swimming upstream again. We've got to get the registry going so they have somewhere to collect the data. And we're we're working on that. But um you know, one thing, one thing that's really frustrating to me and that I, I personally am trying to bring attention to, and I think it's working, is, um, the rules that are out there for getting a treatment or even, even, even if it's not a new drug, maybe it's just a new, maybe it's a, just a new combination of already existing drugs. Cause that's really what, what a lot of, um, cancers or, or other illnesses are are treated with right existing drugs that are used for different things and they find out they work a little bit here and there so when i talk to these these people in in, at the fda and all and i try to explain that we we're sort of just throwing i think what as one person said to me throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks when we decide how to treat you know it's kind of like you get diagnosed with it you do surgery first that's what you hope for we do um think we believe and some of the doctors who too and some of the publications indicate that chemotherapy is not helpful and questionably could be harmful. So most of the sarcoma centers will tell you not to do chemotherapy. Um, none is proven to be helpful. Maybe some immunotherapies, some tyrosine kinase inhibitors. So everybody's doing something different and nobody's really sharing that information. But what where I really want have tried to make a change and I talk to these people and try to get them to listen is we're we're taught that well data 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 is what we need we need data we need preclinical we need testing in the lab before we can try something new and and what's really frustrating and been eye opening to me is when it comes to clear cell exactly what you're telling us we need is the opposite of what we're getting you know the doctors don't have a protocol there's not any Thing written down that says this one thing works. So they just sort of call up their colleagues and say, have you ever had a patient with this and what did you give them? And it's the same thing over and over again. But then there's no feedback that says, hey, I just, you know, but it didn't really work. It's just sort of like, this is what I did. Nobody anywhere that we can find, and believe me, we have researched everything Nobody anywhere that we can find ever did preclinical testing on these go-to treatments for clear cell sarcoma. Now they work, they've, they're used in other sarcoma and they've been tested in other sarcoma, but they've not been tested in the lab or in any kind of preclinical setting in clear cell sarcoma. So for me, one thing I really wish that we could get across and have a good meaningful conversation about, and I've tried and I am making making headway, but it's tough, is if you're going to say to us, you need our data, we need to get collect and get our data together so that, you know, and do some preclinical work, 
then don't, then on the flip side, don't allow our patients to get treated with something that may be harmful. Not that they're allowing it or promoting it. It just kind of happens. It's one of those things that, well, we, we recommend giving that because somebody else did because it's the way we've always done it. And that has been one of the most harmful things, I think, for our patient group is to not have real preclinical data or any kind of um, meaningful gathered data on side effects, treatments, what worked, what didn't work. And it's just sort of a free for all, everybody out there. And that is right now probably one of my biggest missions to help you know, organize that so so that we can get people listening to our problems and and what we've got going on. Does that answer sort of the question part of it? Oh, yes, completely. And I think I'd like to wrap up by having a little bit of a nonprofit founder therapy, if you would. Please. Maybe another kind of lightning <laughs> round. What is the one thing you never realized would be so difficult to get done? And what did you get done that you thought would be really difficult? Molly, you say all the time, like, you go, I can't stop and think about what all we've done because I'm going to. Well, no, I, I agree with that. You know, I think, it, but the difficulties that we have, I mean, I think one of our, but I don't know if this is exactly what you're looking for. One of our difficult things we fall through with a lot is that we have to wear so many hats yeah. and trying to, things can fall through the cracks and we're really, you know, like say we're a realtor and a preschool teacher running this rare disease nonprofit. So we're back in school. You know, I've, I feel like I've gotten a, a master's and a doctorate and everything else in the last two years on website development and social media and event planning and all of those things that, you know, I, I used to do events for my son's soccer team in the early years. And I think I've learned a lot from that, but um, there's just so much involved with this that if I stop and think about it, yes, I might, <laughs> I might freak out. <laughs> so not but, realizing, um, not realizing you had to own 35 hats in advance of starting. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. And you don't, you don't think that when the two of you are sitting on that plush little rug saying we can do this. Right. And, and you don't think about it when you're doing it. Until a moment comes where you're like, oh, my gosh, we forgot to get that, you know, that done. And and then you look at your list and you're like this list, like my job in and of itself. If you look at a more established nonprofit, they've got, you know, four different people running each one of those things. And I'm one that's not only running it, but I'm running it multiple with with nobody under. And so it's it can be overwhelming. And I'm going to add to that because I know Molly doesn't ever recognize this or talk about it. But also one thing we have to realize, and I've realized it by sitting in a room with other nonprofits that I sit on some count, some advising councils with, um, they, they did a roll call. We all met up for the very first one. They did a roll call. I was in a room with nonprofits. I think the other youngest one was 15 years old. We, here we were two years old and I'm sitting in this room feeling like I am not worthy to be around, around this group. But an aha moment, and we, Molly and I realized this, I don't even know if it was an aha or it took a little bit, but our, we are very different from most other nonprofits in that most nonprofits are in a marathon and we are in a sprint. We are 
we need to get a treatment for our patients so that they can survive long enough to join in and help make a difference in the long-term treatments and the long-term survival rates. We don't even, as I said at that advisory council, when a speaker, I said, listen, we're not even at the doorstep. You know, they were talking about having a seat at the table so that you can really advocate for your group in front of the regulatory committees and make changes on the Hill and that kind of stuff. And I'm like, that's great. We want to be there too. But right now we're just trying to get to the doorstep because we really, 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 as Debbie Drell told us, did not exist. But to come off of that and say what like an aha moment was for us is goes back to the what we started with is ignorance is bliss. We have we have some pretty amazing CEOs of some pretty amazing pharmaceutical companies going to bat for us. We have top leaders in sarcoma research answering our phone calls across the world at the sarcoma centers in other countries. And, you know, sometimes we're like, we cannot believe, but they care and they want to make a difference and they can't do it. They're not. It takes somebody who is touched or loved, loved by or loved someone with this disease. And um, I think that's been our biggest. Wow. That's what where we are very different um, than a lot of organizations that develop. So, you know, we appreciate you letting us tell this story, too. Thank you. Yes. Lenny Woods is the executive director and Molly Liska is the chief operating officer, both co-founders of Sarah's Cure, whose mission is to fund research and drug development to fast track a cure for clear cell sarcoma. Check them out online at sarahscure.org. Ladies, thank you so much. It's been a great show. The best of luck thank to you. you. And we'll definitely be in touch. Thank Andrew and so I really us. appreciate your time. Yes, thank you. Thank you. That's all for today, folks. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary is a product of Offscript Media. Our executive producer is Matthew Zachary. Our senior producers are Jen Horanjeff and Andrew McDowell. Darren Tun is our production intern. It is recorded, mixed, and edited by Matthew Zachary. Our theme music is by the Mike Van Allen Quintet and by Mara. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscript.com. Hit us up at contact at offscript.com to share comments, feedback, and make guest recommendations. For more information, visit offscript.com.